This week's parsha is Parsha's Achrei Nois, and at least the first pasuk deals with uh, an issue that we've had earlier in Sefer Vayikra, and that's the death of Shnei Bnei Aaron, Nadav and Aviu, a tragic patira of two tzaddikim who died at the same time to their amazing father, Aaron Akayin. And this was a day that was supposed to be a, a celebration. It was, as Chazal put it, the happiest day in the history of the world. There was never a, a greater day in history than the day that the Mishkan was finally erected. It was started, and Klai Yisrael were excited. There was Hashra Sashchina. Everything was supposed to be just perfect on that day. And on that very day, there was a tragic Petira loss of Nadav and Avio, who did something uh, that Kefi there, Madrega, was wrong, a, a big discussion amongst, uh, uh, amongst the, the Chachamim uh, as to what exactly was, the, uh, was their, uh, their Chet. But be that as it may, the Pasuk records what Aaron's reaction was when he heard this news. Imagine Aaron, this was the day that he was uh, anointed to be the Kayin Gadol, to be the, uh, the most prominent uh, person in the Mishkan, doing the Avedis Hashem, Shlucha de Rachmana, Shlucha Didan. And on this very day is when Aaron HaKayin uh, had to suffer this terrible loss and you can imagine what his reaction must have been. He must have been broken. He must have been depressed. He must have been angry. That's how a human being would generally react. But of course, the Torah says two words to describe his reaction. Vayidaim Aaron. Aaron was silent. He didn't say anything. And we understand that to mean that he was matzik all of esadin. We're all supposed to be Mastik Esadin, Tzedek We understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has his uh, reasons for doing things. We're not privy to the reasons that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, does things. But when he meets out punishment, we're supposed to be iron in our reaction. We have to understand that it's not our place to complain or to second-guess him. Atzur Tamim Paulai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the rock. He's perfect. He does everything right. And we're not, we just don't have the, uh, the knowledge to ever, chas v'shalom, second-guess him. And we have to accept that whatever he does is, is righteous, is tzitkus. And that's the Pashat Pshat in this Pasuk. Vayid Amarin, he was silent, he accepted it. But it's very interesting that Rashi points out that as a reward for Vayidai Marun, because he accepted it with such a, a wholehearted amuna, he was given this chus that right away HaKadosh Baruch Hu appears to him and gives him a special parsha, the parsha of the, the Isser of drinking wine, Yain V'Sheicha Al Teisht, that an Akain is not supposed to drink wine when he enters the, uh, the Aveda. You have to be sober, you have to be clear-headed. And that was a parsha that was given specifically to Aaron. Vayem Hashem Aaron. Normally, it's Vayem Hashem El and Meisha tells Aaron. Or sometimes, it's Vayem Hashem El Meisha Aaron. But I don't know if ever HaKadosh Baruch Hu directly speaks to Aaron, except for this place, Rashi says, that was the reward that Aaron got for Vayidam Aaron.
Rabbi Yaakov Naiman in his Darke Musar explains that it's not just a reward for the fact that he was so stoic and, uh, and resolute in his acceptance, but rather it really was a simon of the true depth of the greatness of Aaron HaKain. We know that Chazal teach us that Ein HaShchina Shaira Loi Mitaych Atzvos the Shechina does not reside, the Shechina does not shine on a person who's depressed, a person that is despondent, a person that is sad. Anyone that doesn't have a simcha, elamitech simcha, only if you're happy, if your heart is happy, if you're joyous, if you are on a high level of, of elation, that's where the Shechina is mashra itself. Like the Pasuk says, that when the musicians started playing the music, then the Shechina was shayr. When a person is able to have music in his life, when a person is able to have joy and to have a simcha, that's when HaKadosh Baruch Hu chooses to be mashra Shechina upon. HaKadosh Baruch Hu can't, shouldn't say can't, he doesn't choose to be Master Shechina unless a person is on a high positive level of being. If a person's in a low state of, 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 of mind, that's not a, a place that the Shechina can dwell. Says the Darke Musar that this is the, the greatness of Aaron. If immediately after Aaron suffers the loss of Shnei Bonov, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu appears to him, that appearance to Aaron not only is a reward, but it also is a, a public re- revelation as to Aaron's state of mind. If Aaron was actually, let's say he was silent, but he was really depressed inside. He didn't say anything, but inside he was, there was a darkness and there was a, uh, a depression and there was a, a you know, I, I, I don't understand it, I'm angry, I'm not going to say anything. That alone would have been wonderful, but it's more than that. Aaron didn't just stop and stop himself from saying anything bad, but he didn't harbor any negative feelings deep down inside either. As a matter of fact, he was happy. He wasn't happy that his sons died, but he was happy to mekayim the ruts and Hashem. When a person goes through tragedy, he has a choice to make. He could either say, okay, I'm going to, he has three choices. He could either really, you know, get very angry, very upset, and that's a human response. That's not for anyone to judge. Everybody has to deal with crisis and with tragedy the way that they can. But we're speaking here on a, from a Muslim perspective. That's not obviously the best way to deal with things, to get angry at God and to be upset and to be, that's not the way to deal with it if a person could control himself. A better way is to, to be makabalit. I accept it. If this is the Ratzon Hashem, I'm going to accept it. That's a much better way. But the greatest way of really being a, a, a maimon, being a balbitachan, having a close, loving relationship with the Rabbi Shalom, is when a person is able to not just be makabalit, but be makabalit b'simcha. And the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was able to be Mashriya right then and there and give him the parsha of Isr Shtiyas Yayin shows that Aaron was not just Mechabalit silently, but not happy. Aaron was very happy. It was Mitech Simcha. There was a Simcha to Aaron. 
And that was the greatness of Aaron Akain. Aaron Akain didn't just say, I'll be okay with it. He says, I'm going to be really fine with it. I'm going to be happy with it because after all, this is the Ratzon Hashem. I'm here to serve HaKadosh Baruch. It's not, this isn't my world. This is Hashem's world. He puts me here and I serve at his leisure. I, I do what he wants. And if this is what he wants, then I, as, a, as a proper Eved Hashem, I have to be grateful and I have to be thankful. And I even have to be joyous and happy when he does things that are, personally, I don't understand them, but I understand one thing, that HaKadosh Baruch is in charge. I am not who a son of Loyanachnu. I didn't make this world. He made this world, and he gets to decide exactly what transpires every single second of this life. And whatever he does, I have to be makabalit, but be makabalit to the degree that you can even have Ashras Ashrina at that very moment. Now, the truth is that we find this much earlier in history, such a reaction to, a, uh, to what seems to be a, a tragic uh, twist of events. We find that by the Akedah, when Avram Avinu is commanded to Shecht Yitzchak. Now, of course, this is the, I feel it's the most emotional and the most uh, dramatic moment in the entire Taira. This Akedah Yitzchak, it's something that I think that touches every Yid. There's something special. There's a special connection to the Akedah. If you really read the parsha well and you, you absorb the message and, and what really is going on, it's it's a parsha that has to strengthen one's amuna, because you have Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu gave his whole life to being marbekveit shemayim, to spreading the fact that there is a bariyelam, and he was the the balachesed of the world. He exposed the world to what it means to to really care about another person, and suddenly Hakadosh Baruch Hu gives him the ultimate nisayin. The 10th Nisayan, according to many Rishayinim, was Akedas Yitzchak. Not everybody agrees on that, to that, but that is the, uh, the commonly accepted uh, notion that the final, the ultimate of the 10 Nisayinis is the Akedas Yitzchak. Why was it such a Nisayan? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu, after so many years, gave Avram Avinu, his beloved Yitzchak, to him and Sarah, this was the Kiv Yitzchak Ikar Chazara. Yitzchak was supposed to be the carrier of the legacy of Avram Avinu. And then all of a sudden, HaKadosh Baruch Hu inexplicably says to Avram Avinu, listen, I know I gave him to you, but I want you to bring him up on the Mizbeach. And the assumption was that you're going to shecht him there. And Avram Avinu could be very confused by this because... First of all, I thought you told me that Yitzchak was going to be my, my legacy. He was going to outlive me. He was going to have children of his own, get married, have a family, and be the future of Paul Yisrael. And now you're telling me that I should check him. That seems to be a stira. And not only that, but all of my life's mission, all of my life's work to spread the notion of, of chesed in the world. And is there a bigger achzarius? Is there a bigger... Uh, Opposite, polar opposite of Chesed, and taking your own son and, and slaughtering him. That sounds to be like something that the uh, the Amirim might do, the Melech, to take your son into and to throw him to Avedazara, to throw him into a fire. That's not a Jewish concept of Chesed, of Rachamim, to 
to do that to one's own son, it, it, it flies in the face of everything that Avram Avinu was living and preaching his entire life. So Avram Avinu had every reason to be upset, to be despondent, to, uh, to be confused, to question, to ask. Avram Avinu didn't do any of that. Avram Avinu went, Rashi says they both went besimcha. Avram Avinu, who knew what, what was happening, was besimcha Yitzchak, who didn't know what was happening. He thought at that time originally it's going to be a carbon that they were going to bring together. He was happy to go with his father. And later on, when Yitzchak was told that he was going to be the Eila, also Rashi says they, they continued both equally besimcha. Avram Avinu was happy to do the mice of the Akedah. Yitzchak was happy to be the carbon on the Akedah. And then finally, when Avram Avinu was actually holding the machelas, the knife in his hand, and a malach Hashem comes to him and says, "Al tishlach yodchel anar, stop, don't touch the nar." Al tasle muuma, Avram Avinu wanted to make a little nick. Rashi says, and let a little blood out. No, don't do even a muuma. Don't touch him. Ki atiyadati ki yarelikimata. Now we know you passed the test. You were yarelikim. Chazal say that HaKadosh Baruch Hu never really meant to shecht him. All he said was, bring him up as an ayla, but not, not to kill him on the Mizbeach. So it really wasn't a, a stirad. HaKadosh Baruch Hu never really intended for him to be ayla on the Akedah. But nevertheless, HaKadosh Baruch Hu appears through a malach to Avram Avinu to stop him. And again, the Mepharshim say, the fact that Avram Avinu had Hashras Hashchina had the ability to have the Shechina Bishayra on him at that moment as he was shechting his own son, points in the same direction as the Darkei Musr said previously, that G'dayle Yisrael, G'dayle Eilam, have the ability not just to be Mechabal, the Ratzon Hashem, with a strength and a silence, but perhaps, you know, uh, an even-keeled nature, and I'll do it, but uh, I'm not going to think about it, but rather they actually do a besimcha. And the biggest riot to that is that if he wasn't besimcha, never would he have been able to have that communication from the Rabbi Nishlam to stop. He actually would have shechted Yitzchak because he wouldn't have been able to, to be in touch with the Rabbi Nishlam, to communicate with the Rabbi Nishlam, to be zeichet hashchina, you have to be besimcha. Obviously there was a simcha that was with him, that was inside of him, so much so that he was able to understand what the Ratzon Hashem was at that moment, get the communication, get that message from the Malach, and stop in time. But again, we see how G'dayli Yisrael are in such a high madrega. This is not something that we uh, necessarily can attain at our level, but it's something definitely to aspire to, that we can actually, at the moment that we are in the most desperate situations possible, we could find it within ourselves, to be besimcha, to accept the rots and Hashem besimcha with Avon with simcha. Yitzchak Avinu as well, by the Akedah, had the same exact feeling of simcha. How do you know this? Well, there's a tour. The Beis Yosef, the Beis Yosef actually in Hilcha Shabbos, in Reish Tzadi Beis, brings a medrash. The Medrash says, we know on, by Mincha and Shabbos, we say in our Tfilas of Atta Echad, Avram Yagel, Yitzchak Yiranin, Yaakov Uvan Avinu Chuvay, Yunuch Uvam. 
Avram Avinu rejoiced. Yitzchak was Yiranin. Yitzchak sang a song. Rina. Rina is a, a joyous song. When did Yitzchak sing this joyous song? When was he so happy? So the Taurus, the, the Beis Yosef says something incredible, B'Shem the Medrash. That when Avram Avinu told Yitzchak that he was going to be the Akedah, he was going to be the carbon. It wasn't an animal that I was bringing up. It was actually you. You're going to be brought on the Akedah. You're the carbon. So Yitzchak could get scared. Yitzchak might be frightened. I'm, I'm the carbon. Whoa, I got to think about this a little bit. I don't know if I want, I'm not ready to die. I got a lot more. I, I'm not married. I have no children. I have no family. I have no future. You know, maybe give me a little time. I have to think. No. Yitzchak rejoiced, says the Medrash. He was happy. Not only was he happy, he was so overjoyed, he began to sing a shira. Yitzchak Yiranin. And what was the shira that he sang? What was the shira? The shira that's sung by Levim when they bring karbanis. We know in the Beis HaMikdash, the Kaihanim are the ones that bring the actual carbon, and the Levim have their role to sing the shira on the Duchen, they, sta- they stand on a platform, they play musical instruments, they sing. That's the role of the Levim. That's what we say every morning by davening, Hashir, Shalavim, Hayu Aymer Beves HaMikdash. Every day there was a special, unique shira, on Yamim Taivim by the Karvim Musaf, there was a special shira. By Mincha on Shabbos, there was a special shira. Yitzchak was a carbon. A carbon needs shira. Yitzchak was the one that was Mishshayra for his own, on his own Hakrava. He was the Levi singing shira over the, the Hakrava that Avram Avinu was going to do on him. That's the greatness of the Madrega of Aveseinu HaKadoshim, Avram and Yitzchak, they didn't just accept this because it's the Ratzon Hashem, but, you know, I don't know, let me, uh, I got to think about this, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to speak against the Rebbe, no, 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 they accepted it with such a full heart that there was like a, a, there was a spontaneous song that was emitted from their hearts singing Shira to the Rebbe. This is the Ratzon Hashem. I have to be happy. I have to, I have to be, be so happy. I have to rejoice. I have to sing over this carbon. Could you imagine such a thing in our times to be able to sing at the moment that you're actually being of yourself? Al-Kiddush Hashem. The great Rosh Hashiva of Shach, Rosh of Panovich, and the God Adar, the Rosh Kalpanei Agayla, he actually, when he would bring this Beis Yosef that I just quoted about the fact that Yitzchak was Yiranin, Yitzchak sang a shira over his own Akrava, he used to tell the following story. He would say about there was a, uh, a group of Yidin in, uh, that, who were taken to the gas chambers in Auschwitz to be killed, Al-Kiddush Hashem. Now the day happened to have been a yantif. It was Simchas Torah. And the Jews were lined up to wait to go to their, to their certain death. They knew that they were going to the gas chambers. They understood at that point already that they were going to be killed in a few minutes. And one of the Yidden said, Rabbi Say, today is Simchas Torah, 
and we have to be happy. We have a dinner of Simcha today. It's Yom Tiv, it's Simcha it's the most joyous day of the year. We have to dance. And the people around him were a little confused. They said, listen, listen, we're going to the gas chambers. We're going to be killed in a few minutes. We should rejoice now. Now is the time to rejoice. And we don't have a safer Tyra to dance with. The Nazis have taken away every vestige of the Shekhinah from us. How can we rejoice? Like, what's for us to do here? What are we going to do? We're going to... So the Yid said as follows. He says, we may not have anything to rejoice with. We might not have a Sefer Torah. We might not have food. We might not have a shul. We might not have svarim. But we do have one thing to dance with. We have the Ebeshter himself. The Rabbeinu Shalom is here with us. This is the Ratzin Hashem. Whatever we're doing right now is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. And they can never, ever take the Rabbeinu Shalom away from us. They could take our Tefillin. They could take our Tzitzis. They could take our Svarim. They could take everything away, but they can't take the Rabbeinu Shalom away. The Rabbeinu Shalom is with us. Let us rejoice and dance with Hashem. And Rav Shach used to describe how they danced away the last few moments of their lives and they rejoiced with the absolute certainty that Hashem was with them. And Rav Shach would conclude as follows, all feelings of happiness we can experience in this world pale in comparison to what those Jews felt. No experience on earth can compare to the joy felt by Jews dancing with Hashem on the way to the gas chambers. So you see, the concept of Vayidam Aaron, the concept of Yitzchak Yiranin, the concept of Avraham Avinu being able to have the Shechina come to him at the moment that he had the, the Machelas in his hand. And we look at these events as events that happened thousands and thousands of years ago in biblical times. And today we're so far removed from that. We have no shaykhs to that. You're talking to people, you know, you're talking to a generation that are, you know, that are, are so removed from, from the Ovis, so removed from Aaron, so removed from, from, from Maimon Arsinai. And how do we even talk about these things? But we see that not 80, 90 years ago, there were Yidden just like us that had the ability to not just accept their certain fate, but even to rejoice and to dance on their way to the gas chambers. It's an amazing thing if you think about it. These weren't, these might have been our grandparents, our great-grandparents, but these are people that lived within a hundred years of us. This isn't ancient history. There are people around, there are people alive who are, uh, you know, who are, who, are, who are survivors. They're survivors, they're still living. And so we're still the generation that is a, a cliché from them in a certain way. I mean, my parents themselves were born in Germany. They, they survived. They escaped in time before the war, Baruch Hashem. But, but they still were in Europe at that time. And, and, and so it's not so far away. It's not so far removed from us. And if they were able to do it in their trying time, we have to believe that we also have deep down inside of us the capacity to be able to be besimcha when HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us 
challenges in our own lives. I'll tell you another story. In Panovich, there was a, a janitor. His name was Tzvi. And this janitor was a survivor. He came from Europe after the war and he lost his wife, he lost his children, and somehow he, he managed to escape and he was, uh, you know, his life was very lonely, his life was very sad, but he was grateful to the Rabbi Nishlam that he was able to at least be in Eretz Yisrael, and every day he did his job, and he did his job very well, and he would, uh, you know, sweep the floors of the base matters, sweep the dormitories, uh, Polish the uh, the Aron Hakodesh, the famous golden Aron Hakodesh in the base medrash, and he took great pride and he liked seeing the Bachim learn. And he realized that even though he couldn't learn so well and he was deprived of of yeshiva education because of the war, but now he was able to at least be misayeya ledvar mitzvah to help uh, the bnei Taira learn. And he was uh, and he took great pride in in although it was a menial job for him, but. It didn't bother him because he knew that he was doing important work in the yeshiva. And now it came Simchas Torah, and the Bachram, of course, uh, auctioned off the Aliyas, and they bid with Blat Gemara, and one got Ata Resa, one got uh, Psicha, one got Kibbutz, the, the Aliyas at night, the Aliyas of the day, Chasen Taira, Chasen Bereshis, and then they took the Sifrei Taira out of the Ara and the Rosh Hashivas were dancing with the Sifrei Taira, Rav Shach and Rav David Pravarsky and, uh, and, and uh, Rav Shmuel Ruzovsky, the great Rosh Hashivas of, of Panovich. And then they stepped aside and the Panovich Rav, of course, who was the Rosh Hashiva, he was the one that founded the yeshiva. He was the Rav Panovich in Europe before the war. He lost his whole family and he lost his whole community and his whole yeshiva. And he rebuilt in Bnei Brak uh, this amazing yeshiva, uh, Panovich, in Eretz Yisrael. And he started building a kiyodua at the worst time in history of Eretz Yisrael when the Nazis were perched at the, at the gateways of Eretz Yisrael. There was the famous general Ramel Yamach Shemai, the Nazi general, the desert fox, as he was called. He was about to storm Eretz Yisrael. The Yidden Eretz Yisrael were petrified. The Arabs were already calling dibs on homes in Eretz Yisrael. They would uh, put their names on this dira, on that dira, on this house, on that house. This is mine. They were already, you know, dividing up the spoils because they, they knew that in a few days the Nazi tanks would storm into the Holy Land and, and the Jews would all be liquidated as they were in Europe. And miracle on miracles, there was uh, a Yeshua, but at the point of everybody believing that the Nazis were about to invade Eretz Yisrael, this is when the Hakamas HaYeshiva began, the, the Hanachas Evan Apina, the cornerstone laying, uh, founda- the foundation laying event took place, and everybody thought the Panevich was completely like, you know, not living in the world of reality, he was a dreamer, Somebody, in fact, famously asked, Rosh Hashiva, are you, uh, are, you a, are you dreaming? Do you understand what's going on in the world? Maybe you don't get the news. But we're about to be, you're starting Yeshiva, you think hundreds of Bachim are going to learn in Bnei Brak, we should, Halavai, we should survive in concentration camps in a few weeks, but you're building now a Yeshiva, Makam Tair, what are you doing? 
And the Panovich Rav, Rav Kahneman, famously responded, yes, I am a dreamer. I'm a dreamer a thousand percent. But unlike other dreamers, I am not sleeping. I'm very much awake and I have every intention to do this and to build this for the Torah and Klai will survive. Now the truth of the matter is that he wasn't just an optimist. People think, oh, it's a great story about optimism. He wasn't really just an optimist, the Panavitcherov. The Panavitcherov was a Talmud of the Chavetz Chaim. He learned in the, in the Kachim Kailo that the Chavetz Chaim founded, and in Radhan he felt that Mashiach was about to come, and who's going to paskin Shilas on, on, on Tumma, on Tyra, on, on Avedis Hakaihanim in the base Mishra, on Kachim? Who's going to do all that? Who, who knows that? So he said, I'm going to have to have a Kailo here. I'm going to hire the best and the brightest Avrechem to learn day and night in this Kailo and to know the halachas of Kachim, not just on a Lamdisha manner, but halacha lamaisa practically, because we need Paiskim. That's how much the Chavetz Chaim believed that Mashiach was really about to come. And one of those Avrechem was the Panavich Rav as a young man, together with Rebbe Chan when they were Chavrusas. So the Panavich Rav once was by the Chavetz Chaim, and the Chavetz Chaim was saying about, and the Chavetz Chaim died in 1933, which was like five years before World War II broke out. Six years before, so, and he was saying that, Baruch HaKadosh, that the millions of people who died in World War I, they didn't know, call it World War I then because there was no World War II. They called it the Great War. World War I was known as the Great War until there was World War II, and now we call it World War I, World War II, but then there was only World War I. And World War I, millions and millions and millions were killed. And millions of people were killed, and they were speaking about this, the Chavetz Chaim, the Chavetz Chaim says there's going to be another Mulchama, and it's going to make the Great War, it's going to make that Mulchama look like child's play. That was Lashon the Chavetz Chaim. It's going to look like Kinderspiel, like, like children's playing, like that's how it's going to be paling in comparison to the death and the destruction and the mayhem that's going to be, be wrought in Europe. So they asked the Chavetz Chaim, and what's going to be with Klal Yisrael? Are the Yidden going to have a chance to survive this, this great Mulchama? And the Chavetz Chaim, quoting a Pasuk in Nach, says, Uvahar Plata, that on Har Tzien, on the mountain of Zion, meaning in Eretz Yisrael, Tia Plata, that will be the place of refuge, Vahaya Kaidesh, and it will be holy. So they understood that Eretz Yisrael was going to survive, that Eretz Yisrael was not going to be touched by this war from the Chavetz Chaim. So the Panevich Rav had this Kabbalah from his Rebbe, from the Chavetz Chaim, that Eretz Yisrael was going to be spared. So when he was planting seeds in Eretz Yisrael at that time to build the greatest Makam Torah, perhaps in modern times, he, he didn't just do it because he was optimistic. He did it because he had Emunas Chachamim. He knew that the Chavetz Chaim had guaranteed that this would be a Makam of Plata, that Eretz Yisrael was going to be safe and secure. And he built based on that promise, on that Avtacha of the Chavetz Chaim. In fact, if you go to Panovich today, there is a building opposite the yeshiva. It's a whole campus, and the yeshiva is a, a big building. There are dormitories, but then opposite it, maybe a few hundred feet away, is a, uh, another big building. And for many years, it was just like a shell of a building. It was, a, uh, it was just a, a building that had no, no purpose, seemingly, but 
what it really was was the the, the Panevichirov built it as a uh, as a memory for the Holocaust because again he lived with the reality of his family all getting killed in the in the war and his community his Talmidim his it was a very big community Panevich before the war in Lithuania and the whole city was liquidated the whole city and so he built this possibly as a museum of some sort. I think today they, they use it as a base medrash. It was never actually made into a museum, but he wanted a permanent uh, memory of, of the, of the Mohamma, of the Khurban in Europe. And on the top of that building, and you could probably find it in pictures, but if you next time you go to Eretz Yisrael, you check it out for yourself, guess what Pasuk is on the top of this building? That's what it says, blazoned, emblazoned, embossed on the top of this building in stone is that Pasuk that he heard from the Chavetz Chaim himself, promising that Eretz Yisrael would be a place of refuge. So going back to Simchas Tairin Panovich, the Panovich Rav had a Sefer Taira, he was a Kayin, probably I'm sure he got the first Akafa, and he now moves out of the circle to give the Bachrim a chance to dance with Sefer Taira and to, and to be Lebedic and to dance with each other. And Tzvi, the janitor, was standing on the side and the whole time he was like tapping on a shtender and he was enjoying it and he was getting nachas. And all of a sudden, something changed in Tzvi's facial expression. And he went from being, from being happy and yantivdik and all of a sudden, something like transpired in his, in his face, in his mind, and he started getting a horrified look, a horrified look, and all of a sudden, what happened was the boys were no longer the Panovich Talmidim that he was looking at, but he was seeing his own sons. He had two sons that were killed in the, in the war, and he saw his own two sons as those Talmidim that were dancing. They might have been their age at that time, or maybe he was imagining them to be them. And all of a sudden he started like having a meltdown in the middle of the Panovich-based Medrash. And he ran over to the Panovich Arav. And in a ghastly scream he said, Rebbe! And the Panovich Arav immediately understood what was going on because the Panovich Arav lived with this himself, this reality. To be a survivor as strong as you are, but... You know, there's always that undercurrent of like, what in the world happened? How could this happen? The Rav also lost his wife and children, and he knew what Tzvi was going through. And now all the Akafas stopped. All the dancing stopped. You can imagine the, the big Panovich-based Medrash with maybe hundreds of Talmidim dancing. It all came to a screeching halt. And you see the Panovich Rav trying to console the janitor of Tzvi. And they cried on each other's shoulders. And then the Rav pulled away to look at Tzvi. And he said to Tzvi, he says, Du bisgerecht, you're so right. Rav Tzvi, you're so right. But think about it for a second. We shouldn't cry for them. Because do you know now where they are? Do you know where your sons are right now? Do you know where my sons are right now? He says, they're sitting right next to the throne, right next to the Kisayah Kavid in the highest realms of Gan Eden. The only reason he said we should cry is because we have an awesome responsibility on our shoulders that we were left behind and we have to build. 
and we have to accomplish, and who knows if we're doing enough to rebuild from the ashes. Who knows? That's the question that haunts me. But in terms of being Makabel, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did, we have to be Makabel at Besimcha, because we understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the Avarachim. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that this is what needs to happen, then that's what he has to happen. That's what has to happen. In Shamayim, there's a different Cheshman that we don't understand, but in Shamayim, the Kedoshim, the six million Kedoshim, are in a joyous state. They are they died al Kiddush Hashem and they are, they are next to Rabbi Nishalem. They're dancing with the Rabbi Nishalem. And so we have to be makabal everything besimcha. And the only thing we have to do is just constantly try to strive to do more and more as survivors. He says, now the Rabbi Nishalem doesn't want us to cry. No. Now he wants us to sing and to dance with each other and with his Halag and slowly he began to dance together with Svi, Ashrenu Matayv Chalkenu. Now, this is a, a great lesson for us, for all of us, and, and myself included. This is a, a madrega that I have definitely not attained, and you know that I'm never giving shmuz, I'm never preaching to others. Um, I think somebody once went to the Chavetz Chaim and said, you know, I'm a mashkiach or I'm a rav, and uh, I feel like sort of like not so great about preaching to others, madregas that I don't, I haven't attained. I'm talking about gaiva, talking about anivas, I'm talking about kas, I'm talking about uh, kinah, and I'm not, where am I? I'm not holding by any of these madregas, so what should I do? It's like, it's like disingenuous to preach about something that I'm not holding by, and I'm not holding by anything. So Chavetz Chaim said, I'll give you an eitzah. He says, whenever you talk about these matters, don't say you. Say we. If you say it as a we, it's a, we're all a work in progress. We're all trying. We're all striving for greatness. But we haven't attained it yet. But it's madregas that we at least are able to now strive to attain because we know that they exist. We understand the, the place to shoot for. And today we've seen from these Makairis, and from these stories, how even in our day and age, it's possible for human beings to be makabel whatever is thrust upon them by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not just in a state of Ayidah Aaron to be silent and to be stoic, but to actually be besimcha, to rejoice and to dance over everything. Now, Baruch Hashem, we're not living through a Holocaust on these shores, at least, there are Yidden, as we speak, that are going through turmoil, as we can imagine, in Ukraine and the countries surrounding. And, uh, you know, Baruch Hashem, last month, we were able to accomplish a lot for them. There's still a lot more to accomplish. But we have to always bear them in mind. And our tefillahs, people that are literally, you know, homeless. They have ta- been taken away from their homes. And, uh, and, and, if, they're, if they were able to get out of Ukraine, now they're starting all over and they have uh, to learn new languages and to start all over and, and you know, find places to, to live and, and shelter and clothing and food and, and community and life again. It's what people are going through right now requires a lot of emunah on their part and it requires a lot of tefillah from us. But... I'm not talking about those universal, those monumental, cosmic 
you know, type of challenges that we're talking about today. I'm talking about the daily nisyanis that we have. The daily things that each of us struggle with. And each of us, I think, it's safe to say, have our own, our own nisayan. Whatever the nisayan might be. Our nisayan might be, uh, you know, issues with family. It might be uh, medical issues. It might be personality issues. It might be financial Everybody, I think, it's safe to say, has. I don't, I've never met a person that has it all. Never met a person that every single box is checked. Everybody, the more you know, and if you think you know that somebody does, I also thought I, 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 I but every time I think that, and I get closer to that person that I think has it all, I realize they have really a lot worse than most other people I know. It's ironic, but like, uh, that's just the way it is. I don't know why it is that way. I wish it wasn't, but that's the way it is. So... Whatever Nisayan we're going through, whatever challenge we have in our life, very often we get angry with the Rabbeinu Shalom. We say, like, why'd you give me this? Like, why is that my peckle? Couldn't I, you know, why did my, you know, why do I have this family? Like, such a dysfunctional family. Why couldn't I have the family of my friend, you know, who I go to on Shabbos? He seems to have such an amazing family. Why didn't I get into that family? Why did I get stuck with this family? Why do I have this medical problem that no one else seems to have? It's such a, you know, or why am I, uh, you know, why do I have this challenge? Why, do I have the, why am I not smart like this guy? Why, don't, why, why can't I hop shear as quickly as my chavrusa can? Why don't I have money? Why do I have to be on, uh, you know, I have to constantly, like, uh, scrounge around for a job. Other people have so much money. And these are problems that we have different choices in life how to deal with them. The easiest thing to do and the most natural is just to get angry, to be bitter, to be angry, to have tightness and say, okay, someday the Rebbe Shalom is going to explain this to me. I got big problems with this. I don't know what he had in mind. I don't know why he's putting me through this test. Why doesn't he give other people such tests, which he does. But the natural, innate response to, to crisis and to challenge, even for Maminim B'nai Maminim, is... You look to the rabbi and say, what are you doing? Like, wh- wh- what's going on here? That's natural. That's very human. And you know what? That's even a madrega because it's showing that you have a muni. You have a, you have a rabbi and shalom. He wants you to cry to him. He wants you to communicate with him. He wants you to express your troubles to him. Who else th- should you express your troubles to? So it's not a bad thing to have kindness. It means that at least you believe in him enough to, you know, imagine if you were a guy or you were an agnostic, you were an atheist, and you have, you have tsaris and you have no one even to blame. That's, that's a, a really big issue. At least we have a God that we can cry to and we can ask, you know, can you change this because it doesn't make sense. And that's a fine madrega to be on. That's also okay. Vahida Marin teaches us that we should accept it. And it's hard. This is not things, again, I'm not holding there. I wish I was, but I'm not always all. A lot of times, you know, you, you also, you want to, what's going on, Why? Why did, I, why did this happen? And a madrega to aspire to is to be vayidim, just to be quiet, to accept it and say, if this is what the Rebbe wants, I'm his Eved, he has the answers, I don't have those answers. I can't explain it, but I know that there's a God in the world, and I know that there's a reason that this happened. But the truest, greatest madrega to attain, and it might be light years away, but it might not be, is to actually rejoice and to dance. And when somebody has a sorrow, instead of being down and out about it, to start dancing, to put a smile on your face. And 
You know the trick. If you, if you ever feel sad, if you smile, even to yourself, you look in a mirror and you smile, you'll feel immediately better. Try it, it works. You smile, all of a sudden there's like endorphins that kick in. I don't know what the, the chemistry behind it is, but something happens and you feel all of a sudden like a big weight relieved from you. That's if you just smile. Imagine if you turn on some music and you dance alone in your room, or you could take some friends and dance with them. You know what you do by, by, by getting into that state of mind? You say, I'm not just going to accept it. I'm going to rejoice with it. I'm going to dance with it. I'm going to be able to get much greater from one madrega to another and to actually learn how to dance in the rain. Just end with a, with a maisa. I have a Talmud from years ago in yeshiva, from the early years, and many of you know him, but I'm not going to mention him by name, but he's quite a, I think he's a, he's a pretty well-known person, uh, and he should be, but I know him from when he was a child, because he's a, he's a, we share cousins, and when he was young, he had Yana Machla, and, uh, and Rahman al-Tzan, he, he lost his leg, they had to amputate his leg, and so you got a prosthetic, and, and most people, you know, if you have, a, if you have such a, an ailment, you sort of try to hide it, and you try to, you know, work around it, and, uh, you know, you try as best you can, but it's, it's, it's challenging in a way that I can't even talk about. I don't have the right to talk about it, but you can just begin to imagine the first centimeter of the miles and miles of struggle that this involves. And that's what he, but instead of, like, getting down from it, he actually became like a clown. He does clown, he does uh, like at simchas, at bar mitzvahs, at uh, birthday parties, at upsharns. He comes with his clown out- outfit and he actually dances and sometimes he'll like suddenly twist his prosthetic leg in a way that everybody is like, because people don't necessarily know that about him. And like, it's weird, but he, he actually uses the tzara that he has as a, as a vehicle, as an instrument, as a tool to be besimcha with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to dance and to give simcha to others and to show that as much of a struggle as it certainly is, and Baruch Hashem, he got married, he has a beautiful mishpacha, he's a ben taira, he learns in Kailo most of, the, most of the day, but he shows the world that it's possible to dance with a tzara, to not just live with a tzara and to be makabal the tzara, but actually to change it into a, a, a simcha, I always called him a, a, a walking Musser safer. It's time. It's fine to learn Musser out of out of physical farm. That's great. But does it really affect us? When as much Musser as we learn, it's very hard to actually get it lemaisa. And we saw Salanto used to advise people to learn Musser bespailus to to scream it, to live it, to passionate. But it's hard to actually. But sometimes you have not textbook Musser. You have living Musser. He's one example, and there are many examples in Kali Yisrael of people, I have a Talmud who had a terrible stutter, and he really suffered from it tremendously. It was very, and he, he took a lot of uh, courses, and he basically, for the most part, was able to curb his stuttering, and then he decided to go into a profession. You know what the profession is? Speech therapy. He wanted to teach other people how to speak. Imagine that. You take your, your, your biggest... Achilles heel and you twist it on its head and you make that into your bracha 
that's a tremendous madrego. Because the truth is that every challenge that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us is really a way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is showing a new way of serving Him. Sometimes we serve Hashem out of a perfect life. Everything is going well. Baruch Hashem, we have money and we, you know, we're happy and we're healthy and we have nice family, have nice, everything is going well. And that's, that's perfectly fine to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Mitaych simcha, that's perfect. But sometimes when we suffer from things and we don't understand it, very often the suffering becomes the greatest part of who we are. We learn the most about ourselves and our, our kaiches ha-nefesh through the suffering. We don't daven for suffering. We don't daven for, daven for nesiyanis. But when they are cast upon us, now we find a new way to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Not mitaych, you know, harchava, but mitaych tzimtzum. And sometimes when you're mitzumtzum, but you're alone with the Rabbi Shalom, in that confined space, you begin to discover a whole new you. And you can then turn those challenges into tremendous, tremendous bracha and, and sharing with the world the simcha and the greatness of the Rabbi Nishan. I think this is the lesson of Achrei Meis Shnei Bnei Aaron. It's a lesson that's a very deep and high madrega but it's a lesson that has been done many millions of times throughout history. Yidin are very good at this, at not only crying, but at but accepting, but laughing, and singing and dancing at the most trying moments. And if they could do it, then we probably have it within us, in our DNA as well, to do that as well with the little things that we have, or the larger challenges that we have, to not just be makabal them as the Ratz and Hashem, but actually to find beauty in them, to find a reason to rejoice, because if this is the Ratzon Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu really ultimately knows what's best for me personally. And if He knows what's best for me personally, then I have to thank Him, and I have to thank Him with happiness and with joy, and with tremendous HaKaras HaTev. Have a wonderful Shabbos, Rabbi